Hello, welcome to Escape the Earth, and today's episode is called Lies and the Lying Liars Who Love the Lie, and we are reviewing The Lies of Loch Lamora today by Scott Lynch. I should mention that we are a sci-fi and fantasy book club and podcast forum, and we're broadcasting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. I'm Tim. I'm Liz. And we will be your hosts on this journey through the realms of science fiction and fantasy. And as I said already, today we're discussing The Lies of Loch Lamora by Scott Lynch. And I think Liz is going to give you the, uh, the summary for, for this book. Yes, I am. So I am, I copy and pasted the summary from Goodreads. So I'm just going to say that up front because I'm really bad at summarizing because I tend to go up, tend to go off on tangents. So summary from Goodreads is as follows. An orphan's life is harsh and often short in the, mis- the mysterious island city of Comor. But young Loch Lamora dodges death and slavery, becoming a thief under the tutelage of a gifted con artist. As leader of a band of light-fingered brothers known as the Gentleman Bastards, Loch is soon infamous, fooling even the underworld's most feared ruler. But in the shadows lurks someone still more ambitious and deadly. Faced with a bloody coup that threatens to destroy everyone and everything that holds meaning in his mercenary life, Locke vows to beat the enemy at his own brutal game, or die trying. Hmm. So, yeah, so from that summary, it sounds very, it sounds very Ocean's Eleven, and that is a very common comparison amongst Goodreads reviews and other like sci-fi magazine type reviews. Ocean's Eleven is mentioned a lot. I, however, personally kept thinking Pirates of the Caribbean. There, There is some of that. There's also like an Oliver Twist feel to it, too, because Locke, Lamora, uh, I could see very much as being the artful Dodger. I've never read Oliver Twist, <laughs> so I don't get that reference. Am I showing you my age? I'm showing you my age. <laughs> you millennials. I am. I am. I am definitely a millennial. Gen Who X wrote movies. that? Dickens? Yes, Charles Dickens. Oh yeah, see, and I just, I just, I can't, mm-mm, I don't do Dickens. Well, many, many people don't do Dickens. I have never done Dickens. Yeah, no. Nope. <laughs> Although I did enjoy the movie Scrooged. I have never seen that. Either. I'm going to go sit in the corner now <laughs> and feel very sad. No, it's a, I liked this book a lot. And one of the things that I, that I like about it is the way that it starts off the title of the first chapter is the boy who steals too much right and i had the boy who stole too much that's that's the title of the first chapter just the idea this city is an ancient city where humans have built their civilization upon an older civilization that really not much is known about and it's sort of like Venice with many canals and waterways linking several little island neighborhoods. Yeah, it's if, very if, like, like you immediately know you're like, oh, this is this is like a fantasy Italy or like a fantasy Venice. 
right down to the fact where the lower city is largely run by a, a class of people that is pretty closely described as mafia. That is very true. I was and, getting strong Godfather vibes from this. I was just like, whoa, it's Italian and it's gangsters. I'm like, we're in the Godfather territory. And that was my terrible attempt at an accent. Please don't put a hit out on us. <laughs> no, going too far. Um, too soon, Tim. Too soon. <laughs> the city's set up in this way to where it's got all these waterways and there are different sections of the city and the social strata of the city is, is very detailed as well. One of the things that noted is that city like this produces a lot of unwanted children that then have to fend for themselves. And one of the ways that these children begin to earn a living is if they fall under the, the wing of a person known as the thief maker. And the thief maker basically takes in these orphan kids and he teaches them the rules of stealing in the city and how to pickpocket and sort of how to run small-time scams. Lock Lamora, his family is killed... Yeah, by a plague or something. By a plague called the Black Whisper. At least he comes out of the neighborhood where the Black Whisper has decimated the area he's taken in by the thief master throughout the city there's this thing called the secret peace where the nobles and the upper class all know about the criminal element of the city they just have this agreement with them that you can steal whatever you want as long as you don't mess with us right yeah yeah that's it i mean yeah it's and it's a secret agreement and i'm doing air quotes right now because like it's secret but everybody knows it so it's like it's not a secret but it's a secret and yeah it's so when the thief maker commonly would buy these children off of the city yard he buys Lock Lamora in the same way only to find out that as Lock Lamora is being handed over to him Lock Lamora has picked the pocket of the city guardman and has thereby broken the secret peace on his first night with the thief maker yeah, so and the thief maker is just like, oh, you did what? He's like, boy, I haven't even had you a full 24 hours and I already have to go do some groveling and some 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 money changing to to make sure like my operation here is not blown to smithereens. Yeah, I so I really liked the thief maker. I only like two characters in this book. I'm not let me just say right now, people, I did not like this book. I did not finish this book. I gave it 60% according to my Libby indicator because I tried reading it, then I tried the audiobook, and I was just like, I can't, I can't. I did not like this book, but I did like two characters. I liked The Thief Maker, and I liked Father Chains, and that was it. One of the best descriptions is, is of The Thief Maker, and, it, and it's early. It's like on the second page, and it says, the thief maker tried to let a vaguely sincere expression scurry onto his face where it froze in evident discomfort, which yes. I find to be a, a great description of somebody who's trying to look sincere and they just can't do it. Yeah. No matter no, how I, hard they try. I loved 
this book until like I loved the first chapter and then we got into the perspective of Lamora as like an adult well even no not even as an adult I think he was still was he an adult in that first in that first heist like where he's being choked yes he's an adult at that point okay I couldn't remember and that's Um, not his first heist that's just the first one that we see right yes that's what I meant just like the first one that we the reader see um because we go from like this backstory of how Lamora was transferred from the thief maker to father chains to become a gentleman bastard and then Lynch does his soon-to-be signature just like different story now (laughs) and so then we see Locke and so once we got to that I started disliking this book a lot because like Lynch does this throughout the entire book like these flashbacks or like these abrupt stops in the in the current timeline to go to a flashback and he's doing that to give you like background on not only Lamora but also on the other gentleman bastards but I just found it very dis- not disconcerting um what's the word I'm looking for like they were just so abrupt and most of the time I was like bro I was just getting interested in this and it's like it's been hard for me to get interested in this and then you wouldn't done this to me <laughs> So it does tend to happen at times of high tension, but I will tell you, towards the end of the book, every single one of those flashbacks has hurt me. They all come back in some way, shape, or form. I would just have to take your word for it, Tim, because I'm not going to go back to this (laughs) So I want to read you one review from, from Reagan on Goodreads. And her review says in capital letters, DNF. I don't know. Maybe I'll try it again. It's strange. It wasn't because I didn't totally like it. I didn't have the drive to finish it. I had no connection with the characters. I found myself not caring about the story either. Five years later, past Reagan was so wrong. This book was so good. You know, maybe maybe if you wait five years, it'll grow on you. I need to let it marinate for five years in my brain. Let it marinate for five years, and maybe when you turn 32 or 33, you'll be able to handle it. I don't know, because, okay, so there's this one booktuber, so that's, like, the YouTube niche community that focuses on, like, the book world. I I can't remember her name, but she, I watched a review about her reading this book, and she had the exact same issue, and I'm pretty sure she is roughly my age, 26, or older so like in her 30s and she had the same problem but she said she did like it in the end and she finished it but I'm just like I was like power to you I cannot finish this so even though I didn't finish it and I didn't like it like if I was working at the library and someone was like I need a book and they're like I like parts of the Caribbean and like thieves and like those kind of like silly shenanigans and stuff I'd be like I know the book for you do you mind reading 700 pages <laughs> But, you know, that's like sort of a fantasy hallmark. They all have to be between 700 and and 1,200 pages or they're not really fantasy. Yes, if you Um, can't, like, kill somebody with your book as a blunt object, then you're not doing it right. So I think also the, the thing is, like, it's hard to get into a book when there is a main character who you don't really like. Mm -hmm. And it is hard to like Locke 
at times. You have to realize also, like, everything about Locke is a lie. Mm -hmm. It really, really is. Except for possibly the level of dedication that he shows to the 13th god, the Crooked Warden. And so going back, like, Locke's under the, the wing of the Thief Maker. He breaks the secret piece on the first night. Shortly thereafter, he orchestrates with his other pickpocket friends a way to clear out a gambling house, which is owned by the head of the, of the mob in the town. He pretends like he has the plague and he goes into the place and like starts coughing on people and they all run out, leave their winnings there. And he and his little friends swoop in and scoop it up and leave the mafia boss going like, I want to know who this kid is. And then he also sets up two of the other kids in the Thief Maker's gang to make the Thief Maker think that they're holding out on him. And the thief maker ends up killing these two kids and then figures out that Locke set them up. And at this point, he's like, I got to get rid of this kid. He's just causing me too many problems. Yeah. And so he sells him to Father Chains. Father Chains is purportedly an eyeless priest who chains himself to the walls of his temple and begs for alms from people. They're supposedly followers followers of the beggar pre of the beggar god, but they're really followers of the crooked warden, who is the thirteenth god. It's the the god that really doesn't have his own temple, but he does have followers, and and this is the god of thieves. One of the things that's sort of interesting about Locke and the gang that becomes the gentleman bastards is that. They have lots of treasure, but they're not stealing to get rich. They're not stealing to give to the poor. They're stealing just because they worship the 13th God. And Locke learns to feel under father chains. He's, he's taught, you know, how to pull off much bigger scams. He's taught how to behave in polite society. He's taught how to read and write in different languages and different lifestyles. And he's also taught what it means to take a life and why that should be a heavy burden for you and how you make, if you can, some kind of absolution for it. So they follow the 13th God. They steal out of dedication to the God, but they don't do anything with the money. They just seemingly let it build up in their vaults. But everything about Locke is a lie, right down to his name. And Locke, at different times, shows no compunction about really messing up other people's lives. And um, Yeah, he's kind of a jerk. He, he can be a jerk. The thing is, is he's not even like a jerk with the heart of gold. He's just a jerk. And you're just like, you're not really smart. So it's like, you don't even have that going for you. Like, bro. It is, it is hard to like him until he runs up against somebody who is even more unlikable. Are you talking about the Grey King? I am talking about the Grey King. I didn't see the Grey King as unlikable. He just kind of read really flat to me. And like, he was just a stock character in place to just like, you know, to be a part of the plot and then to like do something with Locke. So I know that you're that you're fitting to me somewhat when you say you only like two characters because I know you like Nazca too. No, I didn't particularly I did not particularly sorry, I spoke really fast. I did not particularly 
like her. I just like the fact that she was a female amongst all these men. Because that was another issue I had with this book was the lack of female main characters. Like there's Nazga, Nazga, however you say her name. And she was briefly there. And then like, and then she was gone. She was, she was dead. I was like, what? She died. I was like, what? And she didn't even die for like a good reason. She died as a means for the gray king to get Kappa Bavari's who's like head honcho, my boss, to get his attention. And I'm like, that's such a gangster thing to do. And I was, so that annoyed me. And then the other female is Sabatha. She is the only female in the Gentleman Bastards, but she's never actually like on the page. Like she's talked about, we know Locke has a torch for her and that she apparently like kicked him to the curb and he's still all like, my heart hurts still and then there's Doña Sofia who is the wife of the mark that we the reader see in the in the first heist and then the only other woman is well up to the point where I stopped reading was the what was it the the black alchemist or the dark alchemist Mm. yes the dark alchemist and her daughter but do you remember all the discussion of the Duke's uh, Midnighters and the Spider? Yes, I do remember that Doña Sofia, I think that was around where I stopped. It was right when Doña Sofia went to this other Doña, so like this other lady, like noblewoman. And Vorchenza. Okay, I didn't remember her name. Okay, so that is the other woman that I know. And, and that's she, it. she is the Spider. Oh, she's the spider. She is the spider. And okay. she full on catches Locke. She does? Oh, yes. Oh, go her. Okay. That's like two points gained back in favor of this book. <laughs> but she's overconfident. She she acts like she's this withered old thing when he's taken into her. Donya Sophia tricks him into coming in to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And then Donya Sophia excuses herself on some pretense. I have to go and look at something and I'll be right back. And she goes out and he hears the door lock behind her. And he's like going over there and fiddling with the door. And Vorchenza's sitting in her chair, just crocheting or something and mumbling to herself. And while he's fiddling with the door, he doesn't notice that she's suddenly gotten quiet and then he hears something and he turns around and she stabs him in the neck with her uh, knitting needle. And it's got poison on the tip. Okay, three points have been given <laughs> back to this book because I knit. So I totally love the fact that she used her needles as a weapon because as I've always told people when I'm knitting, I'm like, these double as weapons. <laughs> yes. And so, but she has the antidote right there. And she's telling him, like, you're not going to get away. You're going to die. So you might as well tell me all about your friends and, and what you've been doing. And, you know, she, she's overconfident. She thinks, you know, just because she's an old lady that she won't get punched in the mouth, which she does. <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> right, I mean, that's why. Right away. He thinks nothing of, nothing of that. And he drinks the antidote and tells her sorry. And then he climbs out the window. He's way up in this tower. And the only way down, he's like 
screeching along a ledge there and then the elevator comes and he's able to jump on top of it and get down and get away but you miss all you know like even the talk about how they gentle the animals that comes back because what Locke is at at that point is a big party where all of the nobles of the city are together at the duke's tower he's invited to this by Sophia and Lorenzo who know who he is now and are playing him to get him in where the Midnighters are and mm. where the spider is. The Grey King has a grudge against them as well. And he sent these statues that are packed full of wraith stone. Oh, so he's going to cause the smoke to go out. So he basically is erasing the mind of all the nobles. Right. So he's taking out Barsavi's gang. He's going to take out the nobles as well. And uh, oh, he full on Trojan horse them. He he does, except Locke Lamora finds this out and he goes and goes back, even knowing that he's going to get arrested, and convinces the spider that you need to look at these gifts that the Grey King has sent. So all of a sudden, he has a conscience, has a heart, and cares about people. No, after he just clocked grandma in the face. No. No, not at all. He doesn't, he doesn't care about them. So then why did he tell them? Like, why not just tell? Why not just let them? Because. Get mind wiped. You also don't know that the Grey King killed off his whole gang, do you? No. Except for Jean, who is the only character I like in this. Oh, okay. You say Jean. I know we keep focusing on names. I'm such a name person. I don't know why. So in the audiobook, they pronounce it Jean. Jean. Yes, it's very French. Jean. So okay, okay Jean so they kill Sam. they kill Bug, they kill the twins. Mm-hmm. But do they kill Sabatha? You never see her. Okay, so we still don't see her. Mm-mm. But there are oh. seven, six other books. There's six. There's six. Okay, that that is just excessive. I would have said the thing, same thing after being halfway through with the first Game of Thrones books. You said the first, you said that too with that one? I know many, many people who felt that same way reading halfway through the Game of Thrones book. Oh. The, the first, uh, was it, Clash of Kings or what, whatever the first one was. You know, like I had to sit and spend like hours with my mother-in-law, like explaining to her who everybody was and how they were related to one another and what their backstories were just to get her to be able to understand. And then once she had all that background, she flew through the rest of them, like nothing flat. Yeah. Um, but getting to that point, there's just so much thrown at you. And this is sort of what that is. One of the best descriptions of this that I found was by Rick Riordan, another very well-known writer. He says that reading Lac Lamora, uh, it makes the reader feel as if he's been dropped into a crowded bazaar in an exotic city and left to find his way out on his own. That's uh, a very good description. And, and I feel like Lynch's world building is great. I feel like the the society that they set up and the religion is is well done. The description of the world is well done. You can't, all of those things that they show in those flashbacks, even though they're frustrating, they happen right when you're getting interested. They do come back to have real pertinent 
So you ask, does Locke have a conscience? No, he 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 does not care about the nobles. His only the only reason he comes back is because he has come to dislike the Grey King so thoroughly, and in particular the Grey King's bonds mage so thoroughly. Oh, I know Locke doesn't like the bonds mage. He really hates the bonds mage. Oh uh, well, you should see what happens to the bonds mage. Beautiful. They're beautiful. It's beautiful. Is it as good as Littlefinger's death in the last it, season of Game of Thrones? It is better. It is better because, like I said, the Bonds Mage tortures Locke by writing his name, right? Mm-hmm. And he thinks, you know, Locke is his first name. I'm not sure about the last name, but I don't need to know your last name. Well, there's a moment where Locke is standing over the Bonds Mage and says, whatever made you think Locke was my real name? Okay, that's a good line. That's a good line. Yeah, it wasn't exactly like that. There may have been an F-bomb in there. Right, oh my gosh, yes. Thank you for mentioning that, the cussing. (laughs) I cuss people, obviously not when I'm working, but it's like, I cuss, I don't have a problem with it, but even I got weary of the weirdest combinations of phrases thrown together with cuss words thrown in there. And I was just like, what? And I just, I was just like, just stop, stop with it. Like, I get it. You're, you're bad. A you're clever. You're smart. Now shut up. Yes. The ban- <laughs> the banter was a bit much, but it did die away. Uh, that, that sort of aspect died away as the tone became more somber and more serious and, darker Hmm. so Locke doesn't care about the nobles all he cares about is beating the gray king and his goal in going back in addition to saving the nobles just to defeat the gray king is to also convince the nobles that they have to the gray king has a ship disguised as a plague ship out in the harbor that he's been ferrying all the money out to Kappa Basarvi's money and Locke's money. And uh, you remember at the beginning, Chains taught Locke about a death offering. Yes. This, this is after Bug has been killed, after Kahlo and Galdo have been killed, and Nazca as well. Kappa Barsabi's dead. So that ship with all that money on it, Locke convinces the nobles that they need to sink that ship as well as get rid of those statues mm. and this is so his, that's, so he's using that as like his penance that's his death offering to the to the 13th god you know how they do the mm-hmm. poor one for our for our friends who aren't here that's his death offering to the 13th god before he goes to actually confront the great the king, king. <sighs> i mean that sounds interesting but i just I don't know. I wasn't crazy about Lynch's writing style. I I really, really hated the flashbacks because it felt like I was reading two separate books. And I personally do not like that format. I've tried it before when I read The Devil in the White City. I forgot who wrote that. Um, um Airy. Hey, not not important anyway. Yeah. We're just like Eric. <laughs> Cause that also kind of did that format of like on one end we were talking about the chicago world fair 
on the other end, we're talking about the serial killer. Uh, I forgot, but the one who a- had like H.H. Holmes. Yes, H.H. H. Holmes. And it just, like, there was no, in my opinion, really nice transition between the two. Because, like, the only connection was that they were both in Chicago and they were kind of relatively happening at the same time, but not even really that. And with this, it's like the same thing. It's like the connection is that it's the same characters, but like you have the main plot, which I didn't even understand the full main plot. I was just like, like, what is the point of everything that they're doing? Like, yes, they worship the 13th God, but like, as far as like the Grey King, Kappa Bavari, like I know there is this one little thing that Father Change had told Locke, he's like, oh, I'm teaching you you boys how to steal and be the best thieves ever because, you know, you're going to take down Kappa Bavari. And it's just like, okay. Yeah, and you never find out what that grudge is. And that that is the one sort of thing that kind of gnaws at me is like, why, why didn't we get an answer to why chains felt like they should ram a, an arrow through the secret piece? Yeah, like I didn't understand that. The thing with the Great King, like I just, there was a lot I didn't understand. And then with the flashback, so I, I think it's just his story construction and his writing style with his being Lynch, the author, I just did not jive with at all with this book. Then again, I also don't really like Ocean's Eleven, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't like Ocean's Eleven, but things i did like about this is that your main character your protagonist is yes he's got bravado and he's brave but he's not a fighter he he is more of a thinker he's sort of like an anti-hero hero hero. Mm -hmm. um you know it's not based on his toughs or you know it's his ability to uh to scheme and there were just little interludes in there that were that were incredibly funny too like when he got the uh the gambling hall to empty out so that he and all his little pickpocket friends could clean off the the winnings yeah um there was another part where they're trying to sneak out of their room by climbing down this tower and they end up in stuck to the side of the wall with a guy who's oh, trying to yes. escape from from visiting with his lady friends who's who's wink, married wink. before yeah. her husband can come crashing into the room but yeah. the three of them pull the trellis down and so Locke and jean or jean uh, <laughs> have to climb into the room with her and the angry husband and, and she's uh, just like get out get out and they're like really really like shut up <laughs> that was funny it was funny but like i don't know it there the little funny instances were not enough to redeem it in my eyes because a lot of them even like the funny aspects just again felt very contrived to me i don't know if this was scott lynch's first book it is okay well it definitely reads like a debut novel and i know i say that with like a negative tone or connotation to it and I guess yeah it is it's kind of negative like you can always just tell usually like when an author like you can tell a significant difference between like their first book and say like their even their second book like even just those two you can see like such a difference in the writing style 
and everything and and i was just like geez this is reading like a first book and i could i would say like the first 60 percent of the book and the last 40 percent you can tell that there was some improvement there and the way everything tied together is excellent the other thing that i like about there are a couple of moments of perfect irony too when Lock Lamora is dressed as the Grey King and going to meet with Barsavi mm-hmm. um, after Nazca's death. Mm-hmm. And uh, Barsavi gets him tied up and they're beating the, the tar out of him. And one of Barsavi's sons walks up to him and says, this is from Lock Lamora and cracks oh, him in the jaw. Yes. He is Lock Lamora. Yeah, it's like mm, that hurts. <laughs> so I thought that was that was a great a great piece of irony. And then the other one is Jean had or Jean. I'm gonna keep messing that up now. Had, mean, had his two like there's no right or wrong. His two battle hatchets that he carried around called the Wicked Sisters, and he ends up fighting the Barangius twins, who are actual Wicked Sisters. <laughs> which is one of the better battle scenes of the book okay so like for all the flack i'm giving this book i would still recommend it to somebody because i i'm very aware of just like not liking it because i just don't like it not as like a not as as like an objective critique like this like my critique is very subjective and this just this is not my cup of tea. Every everybody's different, and I respect the fact that you that you didn't like it. But maybe in five years you'll like it. Okay, okay, I will. Maybe if I remember, so read this I, again. I'm going to years. remind you. I'm setting a countdown timer. A five year countdown timer. Five year countdown timer. Is that going to be like my birthday or Christmas gift in five years? You're just going to like <laughs> give me a sly smile and be like, "It's time." <laughs> Yep, time to read Lock Lamora again. So I think this is the point where we should just say thank you for listening to us ramble for 40 minutes about a book that one of us liked and one of us didn't. Yeah, and you know, this is, I think these are some of my more favorite kind of book discussions because you did like it, I didn't like it, and it's interesting to kind of talk about that contrast. Yes. Next month, we're going to be reading, discussing the Black God's Drums. By P. DeJelly Clark. Thank you, because I was going to mess that up. P. DeJelly Clark. But I think I remember hearing somebody on another podcast saying it. So that's, that's, that's what I'm going based off of. That, that is always helpful. So thank you to whoever did that other podcast and gave us the pronunciation for for this author's name but i'm really looking forward to to this one and uh if you like this yes (laughs) if you like this rate review and subscribe yes and you can always uh check out what we're reading um what we've read in the past or reading in the future if you want to talk to us about what we're reading or any of the books we've read um you can find us on our goodreads page you can just look for sapl escape the earth and we also have an email, which is, I think, sapl.escapetheearth at gmail.com. sapl.escapetheearth, all one word, at gmail.com. Sweet. I remembered it. <laughs> you did. And better than I would have done. 
anyway, thank you for listening and have a great night, everybody, and uh, or day or whatever time you're listening to this. I've got to stop doing that. <laughs> I just got to say thank you for listening and we'll see you later. Next yeah, month. we'll talk to you later. Escape the Escape the